Welcome to The Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz, coming to you from snowy upstate New York. I'm a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and business school professor. And I'm Mike Wasserman, professor of international management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. Thanks for joining us today. When Bela and I were both on the faculty at Clarkson University, we would have lots of interesting conversations about how two of our favorite topics, innovation and entrepreneurship, are constantly evolving. We do this over coffee or lunch as time allowed. In the last two years, I moved to Germany and Bela retired, but Bela had the great idea to continue these conversations in the form of a podcast. I was skeptical at first, but we've done over 70 episodes now and we've had a blast, haven't we, Bela? Boy, we sure have, Mike. And we invite our listeners to join us each week as we talk with interesting entrepreneurs to share their stories and ideas. Our goal is to bring you individuals who have taken the unconventional path to find happiness in life and at work. One of the key elements of this podcast is to interview business founders we can all identify with. Our guests have included coffee roasters, software developers, business consultants, and restaurant owners. We want their stories to inspire you to say, hey, I can do that, and then just maybe give you a push to start your own entrepreneurial adventure. Before we begin, we'd like to share with you that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I've worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startups. We thank the folks at Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Today's guest is Matt Scarkelli, a, a serial entrepreneur with a very interesting story. Matt's talk was recorded at a monthly New York Biz Lab Clarkson Entrepreneurial Event that I co-host with Rick DeRico. Rick interviewed Matt for this event. The audio is courtesy of Channel Albany. So let's dive into today's interview. So I, I have the honor of introducing our speaker today, uh, Matt Scarkelli. Uh, Matt uh, is, a, is a successful entrepreneur, but you, what you may not know about him is he started his career as a pharmacist, uh, which is, uh, which number one tells you he's really freaking smart. Because to be a pharmacist, uh, you, you gotta be a smart, a smart goober to get in there. And then he was a pharmaceutical rep, and uh, then uh, he started a company called Sports Signup with one of the co-founders of Map Info, John Haller, uh, and they're very successful, and that went well, and they got bought by Sports Illustrated. So, uh, and then Matt uh, retired and uh, probably decided that was a little bit too boring, and uh, he uh, now runs and bought uh, the local Sandler training franchise. Rick's going to interview him, so that'll be very nice. So please welcome Matt Sparkelly. So thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Um, so I'm going to start off because I'm not sure everybody here knows you. So is anybody that does not know Matt Sparkelly? Okay, there's one guy in the back. So with that guy in the back, just, you know, who you are, you know, what is, what is Sandler training? You know, give us a little bit of background of who you are right now. That's our today. I own the franchise here in Albany, and we specialize in 
three or four different areas. We specialize in sales training, so we work with companies, business-to-business -business sales, and train their sales teams. Uh, we work with uh, managers, we train management teams, mostly that first level management. Usually it's the, hey, you were a really good salesperson, now you're a manager type of person. Um, and customer service teams. So those are three areas that we do training in. Um, we also, uh, or me more than the rest of the company, which is one other person, uh, <laughs> uh, me more than anybody else, we, I do some uh, consulting as well, how to put scale into place to grow your business in terms of sales. I'm not a business coach by any stretch, but on the sales side, that's where I excel. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. By the way, Matt's wife and brother are here. Are your kids' sons here, too? My kids don't love me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, we got deep quick. No, uh, so if there's anything he said that's incorrect, you can either, either his wife will jump over her brother, or you can see them afterward. Yeah, we have truth check right here. In real time. So you're a local boy. Right? You stay local? Did you ever go away or did you always live locally in the 518? I've always lived in the 518. Right, so tell us a little bit about what it was like and then your brother can confirm this stuff. Just nod if there's things that are wrong. I'll I'll wrong. Pressure a little bit. Well, just to be clear, my brother's much older than I am, so he doesn't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how many siblings? What were your parents like? What was life like? Where did you grow up? All that stuff. So, I grew up in Waterford. My father owned a bar in Waterford for 40 plus years called the Halloween. Um, so he was a sole business owner, so that's, I mean, maybe it runs in the blood, I don't know. Uh, and uh, my parents are much older when I was born, so my siblings are considerably older than I am. I've so they retired basically by the time that you came around, you got away with something? That was the mistake. Okay. Yeah. There were no so mistakes. That was the mistake. So my, yeah, my mother was 48 when I was born. So I have three siblings. I have a, one that's 20 years older than myself, a sibling that's 15 years older than myself, and one that's 10 years older than myself. And that, wow. that's my brother, Mark. And thank you for being here. Awesome. And what was life like in the house? And you know, It was good. So I, I mean, I grew up in a really good environment. I have no complaints about where or how I grew up. I have very supportive parents. Um, my siblings, as I said, are much older. So I kind of almost grew up as, a, as an only child. So I self inflicted myself on my friends up the street, so I grew up a Pascucci, not a Scarkelli. <laughs> I figured I'd pick someone with an I at the end of the name, so it all makes sense. Um, so, yeah, they, they were my brothers and sisters as I was growing up, was the family up the street. Awesome. Awesome. So I think you are the first pharmacist to speak at a BizLab collection launch, so that's kind of exciting. Are there any other pharmacists in the house? I know there's another pharmacist rep. Where is he? G. Are you still a pharmacist rep? Where are you? He is. There He's over there. Still, okay. Um, so, how did you get into that? What was you know? How, you were you said you liked microbiology, chemistry. You were oh, chemistry. Just to be clear, I hated microbiology. Oh, you, you hated. I loved chemistry. You liked chemistry. Okay. Yeah. So I was a chemistry. I had a, a teacher in eighth grade that was just awesome, and she pushed us really hard in terms of chemistry. We learned a lot of uh, high school level chemistry when we were in grade school. So when I got to high school chemistry, it was a breeze. Like this is this is awesome. Um, so. I went to Keevney and Cohoes. For those of you who have been around a little bit of time, you might remember Keevney. It's a little Catholic school that closed down four years after I graduated, so somewhere around 88, 89 time frame. And uh, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I loved chemistry. So I went to school for chemistry. I went to Hudson Valley. Um, and uh, How well did you do? Did you do good? I was the average student all the way through. Okay. I was 80s in high school. I was average B at okay. Hudson Valley. Um, I got a chemical technology applied associates. I got an AAS, and I couldn't find a job. So I didn't know what to do. So 
I did what everybody does and went back to school. So I thought then I wanted to be a chemical engineer. And I went to work with a guy for a day and said, I cannot be a chemical engineer. Day one. Yeah. Did you quit that day? Well, I, no, I just went to shadow him. Oh, shadow him. So, yeah, just to see if I liked it. And that was probably one of the best things I did because I realized, uh-uh, that, that's not for me. So I did one of those aptitude tests, and I talked to a lot of people. And I said, Matt, you're good with people. You like chemistry. Maybe you want to think about pharmacy. I'm like, okay. So I ended up in pharmacy school. It's not like I had a passion for Albany pharmacy. College of Pharmacy. Albany College Great of Pharmacy. Great school. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. And um, you also wanted to open – your goal was also to have your own pharmacy. Right. Yeah, so um, when I made the decision to go into pharmacy, I also made a decision that um, I didn't want to work for anybody else and I wanted to own my own pharmacy. So I worked for a small independent pharmacy in Latham for a long time um, called Latham Pharmacy. It was a great name because it was in Latham. In Latham, that's yeah. a good idea, yeah. And that's where I actually met my first mentor. His name was Harry Mkhitaryan. And Harry you can, was, can you say that again? I can, actually. Mkhitaryan. <laughs> Harry, was, uh, Harry was the man. He taught me a lot about how to treat people. He taught me how to treat customers. He taught me how to run business um, in, and have a, a balance. So the, the goal was always I would work for Harry, which I did during school, graduated, practiced pharmacy working for him. The goal was still to buy the pharmacy. And then um, we started to look at the landscape that was around. And at that time, all the big um, chains, CVS, Rite Aid, and FaZe at the time, were coming in and buying up all the independents. So it was almost a financial suicide to, to start going into uh, pharmacy. So that, that dream kind of just fizzled away. And I ended up at Community Health Plan for you that remember CHP. Uh, I was a supervising pharmacist at Detroit Health Center for a few years. And that was my first introduction to management. Really? Yeah. So I think there's some value. And by the way, I didn't say this earlier. So would you like to get you guys in to the conversation early? So um, I'll look up in a few moments. And if you have any questions or you want to throw something out, um, I will get to you very shortly. But since we're talking about mentors, I just want to start on this for a second. I mean, there's some value in the fact that um, he was able, maybe you're younger, so you're not necessarily looking up and looking at the landscape like he is. He's been in business for a while. He sees that this is really not a great um, roadmap for you. Sure. So can you tell me a little bit about other mentors that have played a role in your life? And then also, and there's some good ones and bad ones, you told me. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe we want to protect the not-so-innocent. Um, and then also, I know you also mentor people, don't you? So maybe you could talk a little bit about your role as a mentor. But first of all, just people who have mentored you and maybe what you got from each... Not every mentor usually covers all aspects of our lives, right? Correct. Yeah. So if you can maybe give us a little sense of how these, because some people here are probably mentors or maybe want to be mentors, and some people may need a mentor. So. so I've certainly been blessed to have been surrounded by lots of people who have been great role models for me. And, you know, if I think back, my father was one of those first role models. You know, he taught me how to be a good father. He taught me how to be a good husband. He taught me about loyalty. He taught me about... Um, the way to treat a woman. He taught me about the way to treat... Uh, Confirmation on that? So first of all, okay, I'm sorry. There were a few things I wanted to make sure we... She sorry. got a ring for Christmas, so she has to say yes. Um, so yeah, my father was, he was uh, one of my first mentors. I've had so many mentors. I've never had uh, a formal mentor. I never went to someone and said, would you please mentor me? I've always looked for those people whose lives who have something in their lives that I that I admire, and I've kind of just gravitated toward them, and I won't say inflicted myself on them because I wasn't a pain, but um, 
It's the old that surround yourself by people smarter than yourself. And that's what I tried to do. Uh, one of the biggest influences on my life in terms of mentorship was my uh, founding partner at Sports Sign-Up was John Howard. So John, uh, he taught me so much. I, mean, I don't even know where to start. Most of which he probably doesn't even know he taught me because we've never had the formal conversation, but he was just, he's the kind of guy who just always did the right thing for the right reason. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to do the right thing for the right reason. He taught me that it was okay to make mistakes. He let me fail so many times. When we started sports sign-up, I had, really, I didn't, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't deserve it, but that really wasn't where I was, that's where it wasn't where I was at the time. And he let me learn it. He let me fail. He let me do it. And I was like, wow, that's an admirable trait. Yeah. Can I do that with someone else? So those are, those are my two big mentors. Certainly I have mentors spiritually. I have mentors outside of, uh, you know, in my personal life. I have mentors at Sandler, so I have Sandler mentors. I have lots of different mentors. So like you said, everybody's got a different part of your life. So all I also, know is that I can't do it alone. Very good. And, and sometimes we can be a negative mentor without realizing it. So you want to share a little bit about that? I mean, the reporter in me still kicks in a little bit. And, uh, no, you don't have to. No, I've had... So mentorship to me, again, if it's not formalized, and I've, again, I've never been part of a formal... Pro the one time I was part of a formal program, it fell apart. I got matched with someone who said, Matt, you're going to be the mentor for XYZ person, and it blew up. So my experience with formal mentorship has not been great. But the informal mentorship, when I think of mentor, I think of what do I do and what don't I want to do? And there were lots of instances where I interacted with people. They ended up being mentors to me by displaying things that I didn't like. So I don't, no specifics, but they're there are certainly people that have intersected in my life where I've said, oh, I don't want to be like them. And that in and of itself, to me, is a mentor because they're teaching me what to or So you could come to up to someone and say, hey, you were, thanks you're for great. mentoring me. Right. And they might be thinking, thanks. And really, it's like, yeah, you were terrible. You were awful. You don't have to give all the details. So, that's right. <laughs> so before I go on my list of questions, anybody have anything? Any questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, two parts. Uh, two parts. The first part is um, you said that you were failing a lot. So you mentioned you failed that you failed. Um, how did you know that you were, you were supposed to continue failing at this one thing as opposed to trying something completely different? So when did you know when to switch? We'll go to the second question in a second, right? So, so how did you know when you were failing? Like when it was time to move off or continue on in the direction of the Well, third, first, thanks for getting one at a time because I always forget the second question. Milton, great question, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I can really answer that. Um, I know that in terms of if I if I limit it to my sports sign-up experience and starting a business and knowing the mistakes that I made and knowing what I gave up to get there, knowing that I didn't want to go back to what I was doing, I was willing to continue to make the mistakes because I didn't want to go back to where I was. I was unhappy where I was, so I'll, I'll like I'll make as many mistakes as I as I have to to get it right. I know my boss always talks about as long as it's not a fatal mistake. Not I mean obviously they're like, but I mean even like this catastrophic. But you you know if you burn your finger versus putting your whole hand on the stove. 
Second question. Yeah, that's for answer. Previously, you mentioned that you let you tell someone you're ever wondering if you could do that to somebody else. Have you been able to let other people fail? Fair? Yeah. And I'm as not, often uh, as you. Uh, <laughs> Wait, well, well, that's really hard. Ask my, yeah. <laughs> so ask my brother. My driving career when I was young was, was a little more than tarnished, let's put it that way. Um, and in terms of mentorship, I honestly answer, Milton, I have a hard time today because I, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to sound. I don't mean it to sound egotistical, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a saver. I like to, you know, and I, I like to help people. So I have, I have to really consciously step back and say, no, I have to let whoever it is that I'm working with make their own mistakes. At certain parts of my life, in my personal life, I can absolutely do that. In my business life, I have a harder time. Thank you, my God. Very good. Anybody else? Okay. Yes. You just talked about mentoring and you do something of your own. Things you pinpoint that each of those are your mentoring or people have different evolutions of their business. So thanks for that question. Um, in terms of mentorship and me working with other people, I don't choose the topics to mentor them on. They do. So whatever they come to me with, if I have the expertise and the knowledge and the experience to work with them with, then I'll help them through it. If I don't have that, I'll say, it's a great issue, problem, question, whatever, but I can't help you with it. So I don't, I don't have like this set six things that I mentor people on. It's not the way that I do it, right, wrong, or indifferent. And it doesn't um, feel like a cookie cutter. I mean, I, right. My, my pastor, I guess he's my boss too, kind of, uh, talks about really in a mentorship relationship, it's usually the mentee that should be seeking out the mentor. Bingo. You know, so yep. then they know what they want. I need you to help me in this. So to, to your question, the other way around to me, that's coaching. So if I'm bringing up the things to someone else, the, the things that I think that's they good. could help, that's a coaching thing. I like that. That's good. Over here. Uh, so Matt, you talked about the fact that after the pharmacy, you went to work for the Troy, uh, Troy Medical Center. Yep. When you decided to go into the startup world or presumably start a company, were you still working in that first role? And what made you make the decision to jump into a more Great question, Sunish. Um, so there was a gap of time that we haven't talked about in there. So when I worked at CHP in Troy, I was lured into the dark side. And That's my next work, question, actually. Went to work in pharmaceutical sales. Um, and I did that for 10 years. And at the beginning, it was awesome. And at the end, it sucked. It was what was awesome about it? Um, I thought it was awesome at the time because there were no restraints. There were, when, when I first got into it, there were no rules. I mean, you could do basically whatever you want. This is before the expression Big Pharma existed. Exactly, probably, so. yeah. So I was part of the reason why Big Pharma got... Because <laughs> I abused it. You were a Right? So, I, I mean, the, that's the truth of the matter. So... It seemed fun at the time because I had lots of freedom, I had money to spend, I had places to go, things to do, all that stuff. Was it really fun looking back at it? No, it was actually the start of uh, a demise, but um, that, was the, that was the interim part. And then when I was working in the pharmaceutical sales world is when we started Sports Sign Up. And yes, for the first three years, about three years, I was full-time pharmaceutical sales and part-time sports sign up. And I'll, I'll take it to the next step. At one point, I had the, the come to Jesus moment with, with John Haller, my, my co-founder, and he's like, are we gonna do this or aren't we gonna do this? And I remember saying, okay, let's do it. And then that meant I had to go tell my wife that 
I'm going to quit a job paying X amount of dollars, and I'm not sure when we're going to get paid again. And I bet you loved that. That made you very happy. And at the time, she was home with the kids. So she, she's a teacher, but she was home with the kids. And, and, it's and getting better. Working. And she bailed us out. So she went back to work to support my entrepreneurial spirit. So, you know, our successes, our Let's success give it up for his wife, please. And I mean that. That's the truth. And then even even at that point, and I'm sorry. No, this is even at that point, Sunish, I still didn't totally quit. I still went back to practicing pharmacy, which was <laughs> after not practicing for so long. I worked part time to pay the bills to help pay the bills. So I was doing sports sign-up full time plus, and then pharmacy part time plus. Very good. All right, so I want to get into sports since we talked about sports sign-up. Um, by the way, you got some skill sets out of doing the dark side stuff, though. There's still some communication skills you learn, smoothing, those kind of things. That are More valuable. in terms of things not to do. Okay. And I have uh, one of my old bosses is here. So Lee Evans, I, I worked for Lee, and he was one of the good guys. So we talk about working. He has to say that. No, I don't have to. I could, not, I could have not said anything, right? I could have kept totally quiet. So Lee was one of the good guys. So he, he understood the way that it worked, and he would push me to do the right things. Good. Very good. Another mentor, it sounds like. Yep. Yeah. So let's back up into um, sports sign-up. You have a love and pa passion for soccer. You played soccer since you were a kid. You played for the College of Pharmacy. You know, I did. Are they, they have a good team? But you don't think of the College of Pharmacy having like a really strong sports program, but I don't know. Maybe well, I'm let's wrong. put it this way. You didn't try out for the team. You joined the team. <laughs> okay. But tell us, so that's part of the story, I think. It is. Of, so give us a little bit about how that played in, and then sports sign-up. Your kids played soccer, et cetera, et cetera. So people talk about following your passion, right? So um, I've played forever, and I, I would still play today if I didn't continue to pull my hamstring, and I'm a big baby, and I don't play anymore. But I still love the game, and I've always loved the game. And when I was a kid, I was a very scared little kid, and soccer gave me the ability to get out, to, to not be scared. I could get on a soccer field, and I could be myself, and I could not think about all those demons that were floating around in my head that were haunting me. And, and making me the scared kid. So it was always a safe haven for me. That, so I loved it. Grew for a love for it. Press the fast forward button. So I don't even know what year it is, but kids were young. Um, and I decided that I would be the president of Latham Circle Soccer Club. So we built a recreation program. We had 1,200 kids playing, <coughs> which means I had 1,200 pieces of paper mailed to my house. Registration forms, checks, etc. My registrar happened to be John Howard's wife. So John and I kind of knew of each other at that point. So I'd take all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm the soccer guy, Michelle. You're the registrar. You take all the paper, and you do what you need to do with it. So I gave all the paper stuff to Michelle, and she'd go home, and she'd separate them out in piles and create spreadsheets for the first and second third grade division and third and fourth boys, et cetera. And, and then you get the late ones, and the people didn't fill out the forms. And John saw all this happening, and he looked at it and said, this is crazy. So he called me and said, Matt, do you mind if I automate this registration process? And again, I didn't really know John. I'm like, dude, whatever you do, make my life easier. I'm a happy guy. <laughs> so he did. So he wrote, a, he wrote software to, to automate the registration process for youth sports. And we used it kind of alpha, we'll call it. I didn't know what that was at the time because I had zero business background. At Latham Pharmacy, I'm sorry, at Latham Circle Soccer. And we did that for two years. And I thought I was a smart guy, right? So I was like, I said to Kathleen, I gotta call John. 
and see if you'll go to lunch with me. Because I think if we got this problem, everybody's got this problem. So I, John, you want to go to lunch? So we met at 76 Diner. I'll never forget this. When we sit down, like, so what do you think we try to make a business out of this thing? And John looked at me and he said, I think that's a good idea. Fast forward 10, 11 years, having that conversation with John. I said, John, I always thought that I, you know, it was my idea to, to put this together. He's like, no. He's like, I knew what I was doing right from the get-go. I was just waiting for you to see if you stepped to the plate or not. Wow. Talk about wow. mentorship, letting people fail, letting people find their own way. That's the kind of guy that I want to be around. Yeah, yeah. That's what I like about the sports sign-up store. I actually wrote that story when I was um, with the Business Review. Was that it actually was a was literally a a company that grew out of really truly solving a problem. He had a real problem. He hated seeing his wife go crazy with all this stuff. So he did go, I think, down to the basement if I remember correctly, and pounded out some code. And then John's a propeller head. Yeah. So I, I love him to death, but he's a propeller head. You put John in a room, close the door, give him a computer, and let him program stuff. He's happy as anything. I used to not take him on sales calls. <laughs> but he, could, he was a super programmer. Yeah. And a super smart business person. Yeah, yeah. One of the four founders, as Baylor referenced, uh, to Map Info. So smart guy. Um, we're going to jump in? All right. So you did make some allusions to some a darker period. I did. You make a reference um, to an unhealthy relationship with alcohol that you said happened during your pharmaceutical rep period. Well, kind of, yeah, th so that's kind of where it started. So um, I don't want our talk here to be totally about this, but it's it is most certainly part of my story. Can I just say something real quick? Yeah. So I I meant to preface this. See, I'm not a pro on this, but um, so I got to know Matt really well over the last couple of years. Uh, we, we really um, Matt. What's your name, right, Matt? Uh, <laughs> Matt created this thing called Cornerstone University with the City Mission. Uh, wonderful program. It was eight weeks. I think it's nine weeks now. Is that right? Correct. Mike. Uh, yes. Mike Shakosha is here, by the way, everybody from the City Mission. Also a past speaker of the Bizline Clarkson Lunch. Um, and it was a, designed to help the employees of the City Mission, a uh, certain level of leadership, to kind of get to the next level. And Matt put this great program together. Um, every week we met in the conference room here and now each of the city mission. And um, he was very open with this with this unhealthy relationship. I'm gonna use your euphemism. Unhealthy relationship with, um, with alcohol. And I gotta tell you, he doesn't wear, I don't think you wear your heart on your sleeve, but you know your moments. And to watch these students, really how they connect with him, all of a sudden realize, okay, maybe this guy doesn't, you know, maybe we all have our struggles, basically. And so I just really do appreciate, just to be upfront, your uh, your honesty, because not everybody would do this. So anyway, without further ado, please take pick it up from there. Well, I, I, the honesty is at, at a point in my um, in my recovery, it was it was scary to talk about because I, I didn't know I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how people would react. And I'm at the stage in my recovery now where I don't mind talking about it. It's not something that I lead with, but if it if it's applicable, and I'm happy to talk about it. And we're talking about my story today. It would be remiss of me not to have brought it up because it's such a large part of my story. You talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and they've overcome some type of, what's the word I'm looking for? Obstacle. Thank you. Some type of obstacle, whether it's a failed business, whether it's a failed marriage, whether it's you know going bankrupt or whatever. Well, 
I'm here to tell you that your, your failure in overcoming things doesn't have to be business. So I learned from overcoming the, the addiction that I had with alcohol. And it was, it was bad. And there's no two ways to, to paint it. Um, I almost lost my wife. I almost lost my family. Uh, it was when we were starting sports sign-up. And uh, John knew. And he let me continue to work. So I have to take a quick step because sometimes I get emotional talking about this. Um, but I've had people in my life who have let me figure it out, guided me along the way. Nobody told me exactly what to do or how to do it. I just had that, that set of mentors. And yes, so I'm happy to say that at this point of my sobriety, it's been 10 and a half or 12 years of, of recovery and 10 and a half years of continuous sobriety. Awesome. The story is not for the applause. The story is for those that are suffering out there. Um, there's a way out. Is there a warning that you could say, like, this is where I, you know, just as a cautionary tale, or can we share it's that? It's a disease. It, it, it is truly a disease. And I can't, there, there's, you know, there, there are certain things that I needed to address within myself. Uh, but there was no thing that made me, you know, I, there are lots of things that I blame it on. Oh, my father died, or this happened, or that happened. The reality is none of that really was mattered. I drank because I wanted to drink. Okay. All right. Well, I, I shared, I, I saw a quote the other day on Facebook. You know, every once in a while you see a good one. And um, it, I really liked it. It said, never be a prisoner of your past. It was a lesson, not a life sentence. I just thought that's a pretty powerful, uh, powerful sentence. Anything else? Move on. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Just part of the story. Yes, so. part of the story. Um, did you have a question, yeah, Mark? Yeah, go ahead. I just want to make sure you talk a little bit about training. Sure, the training yeah. sure. It's in my questions here, so. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to the point. Cut to the chase, right? Because we all know about training, too. We all know the value of training, but not everybody invested in Correct. I'm wondering, what do you see as the impediments to that, and what have you been able to overcome? The, the impediments of companies looking to somebody to say, I want to invest in training for my employees. It's very true. Good question. That's a great question. But internal communication is the classic case mm -hmm. where everybody knows that communication is a good thing to fix it. I wonder what your perspective is on that. So I deal with a lot of companies, right? There, I, I sit down with business owners and people who run companies at least once or twice a day, sometimes three times a day. And it's a recurring theme, is people know that there's an issue in their company and they choose to ignore it. Now, why do they choose to ignore it? I don't know. Um, it's different for everybody. So some people ignore it because they don't want to spend the money. Some people ignore it because they're like, I can't invest in my people because my people are going to leave. Well, maybe if you invested two people, they wouldn't leave. Um, they, don't, and they don't want to do it because they don't want to spend the time. I can't spend my time training my folks because they should be out selling. So there, there's a, a myriad of different reasons why people up here tell themselves that training is not a good idea. Um, but if we're able to have that conversation and I'm able to get them to talk through it, at, at the end of the day, if you're in sales, you can't sell anything to anybody. It's just helping themselves realize that they need something. So through that conversation. 
Um, let's back up a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. Why did you even buy Sandler? How did you come to know Sandler, and you know, why buy it after the uh, acquisition? So, um, before I do that, can I just point out a couple people from Sports Up that are here? So no, Michelle so and Josh. Uh, <laughs> Certainly, we built a company, but um, and yes, I was one of the one of the owners. But we had a great team, and you know, I, I'd be remiss if I weren't to say thank you to you guys because you guys helped us get to where we are, and you know, it goes a long way. So thank you. I should also be remiss if I didn't say Josh used to work in the biz lab on the third floor for Dumpstruck. Gotta throw that out there. Did you know that? I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how did I how did I get from Sports sign up to Sandler. Well, in the last couple of years, when, when we were running Sports Sign Up, we were running it as a business. We wanted to get purchased. That was our goal, right? So we wanted to build this company. We wanted to grow it. We wanted to get staff. We wanted to get customers. We wanted to have revenue. We wanted to have positive EBITDA. All that stuff that goes along with building a company. We made some company acquisitions along the way. The last company acquisition we made was a company out of Canada. And our product portfolio went basically sixfold overnight. So we were a registration and uh, and background check company. We bought the company out of Canada, now we became a website company, and we became a scheduling company, and we became a mobile app company, and we did all these other things. So I got kind of caught up on my, um, on my managing partner side of the business and didn't pay that much attention to my VP of sales. So I engaged with Lorraine Ferguson, who is the previous owner of Sandler, and she came in and trained my sales team at Sports Sign Up. I went through the, the management track I put my customer service team to the whole, to the customer service track. So the whole company was speaking the same language and we we're all doing the same things. And, you know, as you said, we, we exited that company very positively. And uh, I started with another startup after that and we didn't do all so well. Uh, and then Lorraine approached me, she said, hey Matt, you're a great client. Would you be interested in buying this thing? I said, Lorraine, I already paid for it. <laughs> Might as well. So it was it was one of those things, you know, I think you, you know, I won't take your... your oh, go ahead, take it. Um, but it was one of those things where it just made sense. And that's that's kind of what I found in a lot of my career. It's what just makes sense next. So it didn't I, I couldn't find a job in chemistry, so I went back to school for pharmacy. I wasn't happy in pharmacy. I tried sales, pharma sales. I was happy, then I wasn't happy in pharma sales. What comes next? I started a sports sign-up. You know, there's no, and, and, and it came by happenstance because I did, I was, I was volunteering. That's the only reason we started Sports Sign Up is we figured out a problem because I was a volunteer. I um, made a reference, I'm going to date myself here, but some of you may remember the Victor Kayam uh, commercial where he said he liked his Remington shaver so much that he bought the company. So that's what I was saying. He was like, you liked Sandler so much when you went through the training. Yeah. It, well, yeah, and I guess one of the points there in terms of, of businesses is it's not like I was looking to buy a business. It's not like I was looking to buy a franchise. There are a lot of people who say, I want to buy a franchise. They go to a franchise broker and they see all these different franchises, everything from Dunkin' Donuts to McDonald's to, to whatever, right? That wasn't my story. My story was I wanted to buy Sandler because I knew it worked and I wanted to be in the capital district and, and work with companies here in the capital district. I do want to get to two quick things, and we believe it or not, the time is getting close. We're doing good, though. Um, you had some lofty goals when you when you bought Sandler. Yeah. And then you made some adjustments. And yep. it's also, you talked about how you've had to kind of check your ego at the door a little bit periodically mm -hmm. over time. Tell us a little bit, what was your goal originally when you bought it, what you wanted to do, and then where, do you, where are you at now with your goals for Sandler? So when I bought the company, um, Lorraine had run it for 13 years, and she had a very, 
she had a great company here in the capitalistic district. She was very well respected. Um, she'd been in around, worked with a lot of different companies. And as I came into it, I still had that sports sign-up mindset of grow, 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 grow. And I was like, oh, we could expand north. Oh, we could expand west. Oh, we could expand south. So I, I thought we were going to expand geographically. And then I looked at the portfolio of products that Sandler offers. Says, oh my gosh, we don't sell this. We don't sell uh, customer service enough. We don't sell um, our no guts, no gain enough. We don't sell negotiations enough. We don't sell our management track enough. So that was my second. I wanted to grow the number of products. And then the third thing was I wanted to grow the number of people. So I wanted to hire four people in the first five years. So that was my plan coming in. And I wanted to 3x the top line over those five years. That was my plan. As I got in and started to work on it, I decided I don't want to work that hard anymore. <laughs> That's the honest truth. It's like I, I, I really kind of like running my small business. And Lorraine stayed on board and she's still working for us. And um, I've had a couple of employees choose to, to exit out of the business. And now it's myself full time, my son Luke full time. Uh, Lorraine part-time and a couple of 1099s and I'm perfectly content with that That's so great. I don't I thought that I had to grow because everybody in the business world tells me you have to grow your business you have to get bigger you have to do that it took me a while to figure it out but no you don't if you're happy where you are you're happy where you are yeah that's good that's wisdom <coughs> I think people sometimes talk about like that lifestyle business and they kind of will almost like put it down to have a lifestyle business mm -hmm. and there's a value in having a good lifestyle yeah. so um what motivates you <laughs> um that's a hard question because i sometimes i'll be honest with you sometimes i don't know what motivates me but i have a drive that i just can't i, I don't know what it is it's just kind of in me i can tell you some and I, I think you're alluding to some certain circumstances so i'm I'm the type of person who will get motivated by someone telling me I can't do something as opposed to someone saying, go do it, right? So you go to the gym and the trainers are on you. You know, you can do it. One more rep, one more rep. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but in my, when I was in high school and I told my vice principal, and I'll never forget this. Let me remember this. I took my vice principal. She said, I said, I'm going to go to school for uh, chemistry. She looked at me and says, you'll fail. I'm like, who does that? But anyway, so part of my reason for getting a chemistry degree and being successful at it is because I wanted to prove her wrong. How did, did you prove her wrong? I mean, I know you proved her wrong career-wise. Did you ever go back to her? I never asked her. I have no desire to go back to her. <laughs> How do you prove her wrong without like, I'd like to knock on her door and say, hey. No, no desire right. to go back to okay. her. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, there were other instances. I remember at Sports Sign-Up, we got an RFP. I was so young, I didn't even know what the heck an RFP was. Honest answer, right? So we get an RFP from US Lacrosse to, to be their vendor of choice. And it's like this 30 page document and I'm not a detail guy. So I didn't really open it and look at it. And I quick responded to the person that sent it. And, and I said, um, when is this due? <laughs> well, Hey, idiot, if you had opened the email, yeah. there's a very clear submit by date. We didn't get that business. <laughs> but the, when I went, this is when I was still working as a part-time pharmacist. So it was really early in the sports sign-up days. 
I went and I told one of the pharmacy techs that I was working with what happened. She says, you'll never get that business anyway. We worked really hard. In the, in the really long run, if I really want to stretch it, when Time Inc. bought us, they bought another company as well, and they were the U.S. lacrosse uh, chosen vendor. So at the end of the day, we really were the chosen vendor. <laughs> um, and there was one other time where, and I remember this distinctly, when uh, I chose to get help for my uh, drinking problem, and I went to an outpatient um, uh, admitting or whatever you call those things, and I and I talked to the lady and she did the breathalyzer and she did the questionnaire and blah blah blah. It was at St. Peter's and she and I and she said we need you to start. You should start treatment tomorrow. And we had something. To, I, I forget what it was. The kids had something or something. And I said I can't start tomorrow. She's like, well, if you don't start tomorrow, you'll fail. And here we are, twelve years later. Awesome. So is that like a takeaway, like for me and my kids, maybe to say, start saying, you can't do that. I mean, <laughs> no, different people get motivated no, no, in different no. ways. <laughs> um, we, believe it or not, we've run out of time. Please give it up for Matt Kelly. Thank you. These things always go so fast. And uh, I want them to go on longer. But um, we have a special parting gift, the BizLife Clarkson Tumblr here, the official one. So thank you so much for that, for being one of our speakers. What an interesting journey that Matt's been on, Bela. How do you view Matt's career path? You know, you're really right. This was one of the more fascinating people that we've talked to from the point of view of a journey. Uh, he started as a pharmacist, right? So he's, he's you know, and be, becoming a pharmacist is not an easy path. Uh, and uh, so he, he graduated from pharmacy school, became a working pharmacy, uh, and then, uh, you know, sort of got tired of that and uh, joined uh, this, this company um, as a, their sales guy. Uh, had an interesting uh, path there in sports startup. Uh, they had a successful exit, uh, and that worked very well. And then from there, <clears throat> what does he do? He buys a franchise, uh, Sandler, which is a sales training uh, process. Uh, or uh, They do a set of courses for sales folks uh, in training. Uh, and they have a franchise, and he bought he bought the local franchise uh, here in upstate New York. So that's you know really diverse if you think about it. Uh, this notion of uh, moving from a pharmacist to an entrepreneurial company, and to then uh, buying an, a, a sales franchise. Uh, so it's really uh, I think it's been an interesting path for him, and uh, it certainly his talk was inspiring to me because uh, from many different aspects. Uh, including his struggles uh, with uh, some mental health issues or alcoholism, uh, whatever is the right way to frame that is. Um, so what, what kind of struck you, Mike? Well, I think that this whole package was really interesting. Like you said, um, you know, he, first he talked about this idea of mentoring and reverse mentoring. And I thought this was really cool. It got me thinking about kind of how I learned how to manage kind of without a lot of formal training. Um, I like how he, he, kind of define this as making the right decisions for the right reason at the right time. I love that. Is this is what good managers and good leaders do. Um, and then he talked about the opposite of people whose behavior I don't want to emulate. Um, and I think this is actually a really powerful tool that um, people can use when they're in a negative situation. I've had a lot of times, and I'm sure you have too, Bela, when 
people come to me and say, oh, I've got this worst, this horrible boss or this horrible client or this professor I don't like or a neighbor or whatever. And, you know, that's not their this isn't universal because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where your health or safety are at risk or anything like that. But just when you're dealing with somebody that's a bad manager, note those moments, be kind of, okay, this is what this person is doing. And I don't ever want to be this way again. It's this idea of reverse mentoring. And then you're kind of taking yourself out of the situation, observing the behaviors of this person that you don't like and kind of noting it that you don't you want to not adopt those. And I think that's every bit as powerful as saying, this is what I do want to emulate, right? And this is what I don't want to emulate. When you put those two together, that's a really nice way to learn as you go. Um, and so as he put it, you have these mentors and these reverse mentors. So I thought that was a really cool statement. Um, and I think the second point that Matt made was this distinction between mentoring and coaching. That, pushing, that coaching is something you push on people, right? I'm going to give you my guidance. I'm going to give you my advice. And mentoring only works best when it's a pull, when the person who's being mentored says, hey, I need help with this. And I don't think that totally matches up with the formal academic definitions of these things, but I really like how the operationalizing, he operationalized that. Um, and, and then the thing that it's funny because I say this all the time, Bailey, you've heard me say it, hang out with people smarter than you. I mean, that's how he seeks out his mentors. It's, I mean, I'm married to somebody who's smarter than me. My friends, I, I, you know, I can't believe you hang out with me cause you're smarter than me. Right. But it's hanging out with people smarter than you is just a great way to go through life. Um, and a great way to find those mentors. Um, so I thought that was all, that was all kind of a cool story. What do you think about the, this kind of this whole, his path when he went down this sports sign up thing? That was a cool story. You know, I thought one of the, the coolest things there, and it links back to mentoring is, you know, whether, whether you're, whether you're mentoring somebody or you're taking them under your wing or, you know, you're trying to help them, uh, or you're raising a child. Uh, one of the biggest challenges when you're in that role is when you see someone that's not succeeding, uh, not accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. Oftentimes, you just want to blurt out the answer or, or just say, hey, do it this way. Uh, and he really talked about how, how his uh, partner there uh, allowed him, gave him a lot of sort of rope to learn, right? And didn't, and didn't just say, hey, just, just do it this way and, and we'll get it done in an hour, right? Instead, he had the patience and he realized that in being a good mentor, sometimes you have to let people stumble a little bit in order to get the greatest learning value out of that experience. Uh, and, and to me, that was one of the big takeaways. And, and you know, I was there for this talk. And, and so I think maybe you miss a little bit of this in the, in the recording, but you could see that Matt really appreciated that. And in many ways, it was a turning point for him where, where, where John, who was his partner there, uh, allowed him to, to, to struggle through these things. And, and, but at the same time, you know, put bumper guards up to not to let Matt wander too far away and sort of get into trouble. And, and I thought that was a really good lesson for, for people who, who want to be mentors or people who are trying to mentor other folks or uh, just sort of help others. Uh, that there is this yeah. fine balance. It isn't just blurt out the blurt out the answer, right? This this is something where where you got to strike that right balance. So I thought that yeah. was that was really interesting. Me too. And where the greatness in teachers or mentors or coaches are is in the debrief, right? 
is when you say, okay, what went wrong? And you ask the person what went wrong and why they failed at this. And then the person themselves goes through and picks it apart and realizes, ah, I should have done this at this point. I should have done that at this point. Here's how I deal with this later. And you don't even need to tell them how to do it. But by letting the person go through and internalize and organize the reasons for failure and to categorize and, and, and create a checklist of how they will do things differently in the future, that's a much better way for people to learn yeah. than to just tell them. Yeah. Right? That, that I, sort I mean, of, parents don't understand that too, right? Yeah. That sort of guided reflection, I think, is, yep. is a real, a really important uh, thing that struck me uh, in, in, in Matt's talk, right? That was like the light went off in my head when he was talking about that. I said, oh, yeah, that's that's really insightful. Um, yep, agreed. And then I think the, 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 you know, one of the really most touching and fascinating pieces of the interview that you did was his dis- discussion about his battle with alcohol. And, I mean, what a meaningful story of struggle and recovery um, this is. Um, and it can be substance abuse, like what Matt struggled with. It can be mental health. It could be physical health. Um, people struggle with things that are really important to them. And a lot of times they're hidden. Um, there's been actually a lot of interesting research that identifies a correlation between entrepreneurship and mental health, which is interesting. Um, so, you know, we, I've seen this a lot. I've seen it in my teaching. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in my friends. Um, and I used to be honestly uncomfortable with people discussing their own struggles, uh, and then as I got older and I realized that there are so many people that are suffering um, and seeing people I care about struggle, that I see how important it is to bring issues like alcohol or drug abuse or mental health out into the daylight. And it's just refreshing for me to hear people be open about it because I know that there are people in that room who are struggling. And I know there's people who are listening that are struggling with this. Um, and, you know, it's just about for me to be as supportive of a friend or a family member as I can be. Being open, um, being someplace that, uh, you know, I'm not a mental health person, but I know how to access services. And if you're a manager or you're a teacher or you're a family member, to know where the services are at and know some warning signs. And when people ask you for help, help them. You know, it's like you said, people can't do it for me. I have to do it myself, right? uh, Paraphrasing him, right? But that's really a common common theme here. But it's being there when people are are ready to, to get help. Um, and you can see what a difference it made in his life, turned his life around, right? Like you said, he's about to lose his family, he's about to lose his job. And fortunately for him, he was able to find the strength and to have the support network to, to work through his issues. Um, so I thought that was great. And I thought it was, I was really happy that he brought the issue up and that it's something that we can share in our podcast. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that it, as you were saying that, Mike, it got, to me, got me thinking about culture. Uh, and not just sort of culture uh, where we work or our work environment. Certainly, all work environments have, have some type of culture. And, and sometimes you can help shape it. Sometimes you cannot. It's just what it is. Uh, but what I was thinking about when you were saying that was not just culture sort of where we work, but the culture within our lives, Right, so there is an opportunity to sort of shape the culture that you experience in your life in general, right? And you do that by, by sort of who you hang out with, who you surround yourself with, uh, what sort of organizations you belong to, uh, because oftentimes I think it's that culture of your family, of these other organizations you belong to, other people you hang out with, is is where that support structure comes from. 
and and I think that's that's something that that you know as you were saying all that stuff the light went off in my head was gee that's something that is really valuable and I never thought about it this way before of this notion of of making conscious decisions about you know is this person vibrating positive energy or are they vibrating negative energy and mm-hmm. and you know what do I want to be uh, using that as a learning learning uh, opportunity a learning a teachable moment as they say uh, and then also surrounding myself with people who sort of vibrate positive energy because it helps me vibrate positive energy and it helps me with with my my mental health and my mental outlook and stuff um, I didn't articulate that really well but uh, I, I think the point the point is even even when we're struggling we do have choices we make whether it be at work or whether it be in our lives outside of work where we can help uh, uh, shape some of these things uh, sometimes to a greater extent sometimes to a lesser extent but it but it's something that is valuable to work on agreed so what do you think wrap it up uh yeah oh I, one other quick thing i wanted to to say was i thought the sports sign up the the business that he and john started uh, was just a fabulous, fabulous example of opportunity recognition, <laughs> right? It's this, it's this, yeah. it's like, oh, this, what I'm doing is a total pain in the butt. <laughs> and Jeepers, there's probably 2,000 other people are in the country doing the same thing. And, and is there a way to sort of do this? So I just thought that was a, I wanted to make sure we talked about that just a little bit, that this whole notion of opportunity recognition which is something that I'm really big on. I teach it as part of my entrepreneurship course. It's a big project students do. And it, it's, that's, that, leads, that often leads to successful uh, business endeavors, is this notion of recognizing the opportunity and then doing something about it to solve that problem. Yeah, and it was really a double-sided business model, too, because he was making things easier for the people who were running the leagues, but I think he was also making it easier for the people who were in the leagues or whose children were in the leagues because it was way easier to sign up and to schedule and all these things. So it was really something that using technology to provide value for both parties of the transaction. Right, right. And that's a great point, Mike, because oftentimes in any business that you, that you, or product that you have, there's more than one customer. There's more than one customer group, right? And in this, in this case, with sports signup, there's the people who organize the little leagues or the softball leagues but then there's also the people who play in those softball leagues and the parents and both you have to you have to make this workable for both sets of those customers to have a really successful endeavor and you know we've all seen challenges of you know the, the it's weight it's weighted too much on one side like th- here's here's my pet peeve right every time i go to a new doctor's office i have to fill out the same form that has my name my address <laughs> In my health history, right? I have filled that form out probably, you know, a hundred times and it's the same form. And wh- why do I have to fill that out all the time? Uh, because I mean, I understand they need that information, but they, the, the perspective there is we're going to make it easy for that practice to get that information. And we don't really care about how easy it is or how difficult it is for the customer, i.e. the patient to get, to give that information. So anyway, Even though they uh, have that information on your driver's license that you could show them right. or on a card, your insurance card, if you have one, right? It's they all they over have the that place information. in digital form. Right, right. <laughs> it's all And then the wouldn't it be nicer if they, it just printed out or came up on a screen and all you did is check for accuracy? That's right. right. 
Right. Right. Because uh, but usually no... when you're at the doctor's office, you don't feel well, right? <laughs> right, right, right? It's the last place you want to be filling out a bunch of forms. Right. Things are made convenient for just one side of that equation. That's my example. I'm not picking on doctors, mm-hmm. uh, but it's made, it, it's, it's designed to be, there's, there's plenty of examples of this in higher ed too. Absolutely. In retail <laughs> and higher ed and right, right. you name it, the, the car business, we, right? We, we make things easy for the administrators and not for the students. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that was cool. sports sign up is a great example of that, of, 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 of recognizing you have multiple customer groups and making sure you satisfy all of them. Nice. So yeah, this was a great interview, Bela. Thanks for doing it. I mean, we talked a lot about mentoring and reverse mentoring, uh, which was neat, the difference between mentoring and coaching. Uh, There was this whole idea of kind of moving down this career path from kind of what you're good at, and then you do it until you're not having fun, and then you find the next logical thing. We talked about some cool ideas about opportunity recognition, and, you know, last and, you know, probably most importantly is um, somebody who struggled and overcame some, um, you know, like you said, a disease uh, and was able to to go into recovery and is able to stay in recovery and, and have success. And that's always, to me, something that's very heartening to see and, and something that's uh, hopeful and positive. So I thought it was a great interview. Thanks for taking the time to, to do that. And uh, as always, it's, uh, it's great to talk about it and share it with our listeners. So that, that said, listeners, we're happy that you joined us in our podcasting adventure for this week. Uh, and we hope that, like us, you found the last hour interesting and thought-provoking. Uh, at this point, we'd like to once again thank Phillips Lytle LLP for sponsoring our podcast. Uh, and know that if you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I can confidently recommend the attorneys at Philip Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? To get in touch with these guys, uh, contact Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner, either at 518-618-1225 or at rhonan at phillipslytle.com. You can find all this information in our show notes. So thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we discussed today, suggestions about topics or potential guests, please get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do subscribe if you haven't already. We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. Until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Hey, Mike, have a great week. Sounds great, Bela. That's it from over here in Münster, Germany. Have a great week, everyone.